Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. Morning. Cop of murder. Drugs and teenage emotions can sometimes create a dangerous cocktail. It can turn a recreational drug user into a dangerous addict who thinks the world and their family are against them. At least that's what would happen to a Michigan teen on November 29, 1998, when the tension in his family became too much to bear. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Seth Pravacki was your typical troubled kid. The 18-year-old senior in high school was already pretty deep into a drug addiction, and he used theft and dealing to help supplement his habit, a lifestyle that put a lot of tension in his family, especially with his parents. But if we are being totally honest, there were probably about a dozen or more kids just like him in your high school. You may have even been one of them but not many of us would take those issues and turn them into a bloodbath. He would later say that while he and his mother were fine, he and his father never really got along, especially since he began experimenting with drugs and alcohol at 14. He said his father never said anything positive about him, and Seth sensed that he was finally turning not just his mother, but his beloved brother against him. They began taking his father's side, and around mid-1998, the tensions continued to bubble and boil until they finally spilled over that November. Because on Sunday, November 29, 1998, Seth said his parents finally told him what he had been feeling for the last six months, that they didn't love him anymore and wanted him to move out. 
His father was the one who uttered those hurtful words, and Seth's mother and brother sat silently defending him. And with that, Seth Pravacki came undone. The following description of the murders came from Seth's own confession. Once his family made it clear that they had given up on him, Seth walked upstairs, went into his father's closet, and grabbed his 22 caliber pistol. When he came back down, his father had already left. But instead of letting that stop him, Seth simply walked behind his brother, 19-year-old Jebediah Pavaki, as he sat in the living room and shot him in the back of the head. He then dragged the body downstairs so no one could see it. Then his father and grandfather came back home for dinner. He didn't know his grandfather was coming, but simply took his life as collateral damage. He shot both men in the back of the head as they walked past the threshold of the home. His mother, 49-year-old Linda Pravacki, who had been in the shower while all of this was happening, got out just in time for Seth to walk into the bathroom and shoot her in the head like the others. The last to die was someone who didn't even belong to the Pravacki family. 19-year-old April Boss, Jebediah's girlfriend, walked through the front door believing she was there simply for a belated Thanksgiving dinner with the Pravacki family. She was instead greeted with the bodies of 50-year-old Stephen and 78-year-old John Pravacki. According to Seth, she thought it was all a joke and continued into the kitchen, where she was shot in the back of the head. Seth had no idea she was coming over to dine with the family. Like his grandfather, she was simply collateral damage in his quest to annihilate the family he thought hated him. With everyone dead, Seth called his friend Stephen Wallace. He told him that he killed his whole family and was in shock and didn't know what else to do. He asked Steve to come over and, when he arrived, begged him to help clean it all up. Reluctantly, Steve agreed and the pair of friends cleaned up the blood, wrapped the bodies in sheets, and dragged a few of them into the workshop off of the garage before Steve left for his church group with the gun. He had not told his parents that he was going to Seth's house. With him gone, Seth finally finished cleaning up the mess. When church was over, Steve came back and the pair attempted to move the bodies and bury them outside. However, these two lanky teens were not strong enough to lift them. So instead, they formed a new plan. Make the home look like a robbery gone wrong, stage it to look like an unknown assailant looking for some cash, broke in and shot the entire family as they gathered for dinner. So they took the sheets off each of the bodies and placed the sheets in the trunk of the car with the intention of burning them later. Just as they shut the trunk, Seth saw a car pull up to the house. He ran inside and the boys looked through the sliding glass door to see who it was. Fearing it was the police, both ran from the home and through an empty lot where they waited for a few minutes before Seth went back to see if their suspicions were correct. They were. April's parents knew that their daughter had gone to the Pravacki home that day for Thanksgiving dinner. And when her employer called and said that she had not shown up for her third shift job, the parents went to the home looking for the girl. What they saw was a shadowy figure running from the garage. Some accounts say that the couple called just upon seeing the suspicious shadow. Others say the couple walked closer to find a body and blood on the ground. Regardless, the police were called and they were now at the Pravacki home. As he made his way back to his hiding spot with Stephen, a car pulled up behind him and he dived into a nearby ditch. The next thing he saw were the red and blue of police lights flashing behind him. He ran back to where Stephen was hiding, but could not find his friend and accomplice. He hid in the woods as he heard the sounds of search dogs and sirens all around him. 
He began to run and continued running and crisscrossing through the town until he could only hear the dogs and sirens in the distance. When he was sure he had shaken them, the young fugitive fell asleep under a tree and did not wake until the morning. The next day, he made a new plan, a plan that involved taking his own life. He walked back to a friend's house, but when he found that the boy wasn't home, he decided to wait in a nearby barn until they came back. That is where police found him and finally arrested him on November 30th, 1998. In custody, Seth gave a full confession, including the fact that, while Stephen Wallace did help him, he had minimal involvement. Both boys were charged with five counts of open murder, but Stevens was later reduced to accessory to murder. Seth Pervacki was sentenced to five life terms in prison without the possibility of parole after pleading no contest. He claimed that the murders were the product of the tension and anger with his family and coming down off a strong dose of LSD. On November 1st, Stephen Wallace was acquitted by a jury. At the time, the prosecution called it the worst mass murder in West Michigan history. On July 15, 2010, Stephen Pravacki was shot and killed during a failed prison escape at Kincross Correctional Facility. He and two other inmates overpowered the driver of the facility's semi-truck and attempted to drive it through the fence. Guards apprehended the other two men, but Seth tried to flee the turf and was fatally shot. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 30th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.